It's back. The Drink Elementy special offer is here again. This is what you need. Electrolytes without the junk. Essential electrolytes without sugar, artificial ingredients, coloring, or any other junk. And now, Track Talk listeners can get a free sample pack of Drink LMNT by going to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. You guys need to try this out. Running with the Buffaloes author Chris Lear tried it out. It takes two minutes to sign up, get a package sent to you. You pay only $5 shipping. He tried it out, gave it one to his wife. Next thing you know, a whole box full arrived. His wife loves them so much. I love them too. There's a new watermelon flavor. Check it out. Drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Free sample eight pack sent to you for only five bucks shipping. Welcome, track and field fans. Robert Johnson here, welcoming you to the greatest weekly track talk podcast in the world. The only one where you can actually pick up a phone and reach us. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. And on this week's show, we're going to talk about how the Newbury Park boys have destroyed the Arcadia Invitational 3200 meters with four underclassmen all running sub nine. The world's Fastest 1,500-meter runner has run a 29, 39, 10,000 meters. More than 5,000 runners have run a road race in Weijo's old hometown. Is it time to stick a fork in U.S. legend Molly Huddle? And what about Nikki Hiltz and Alexa Frameson? We'll probably spend most of the show, at least the other two guys, my brother Weldon and a staff writer Jonathan Goff, will spend most of the show trying to keep my head from exploding. Because DK Metcalf has taken on the world's best spinners and run exactly what I predicted that he would. And my boy, Yer Nagus, the one I've been saying who's going to be on the U.S. Olympic team, has taken down Cooper here and Cole Hawker in the 1500. I can't wait. This is going to be the ultimate victory lap show of all time. And at the end of the podcast, we have a 30-minute talk with Alicia Monson of the OAC as the let's run.com countdown to the trials sponsored by on running continues on last week's podcast her coach Dathan Ritzenhain had some big words to say about her comparing her possibly being a Shalene Flanagan or Dina Castor in the future and Alicia talks about her preparations for the trials the new group at the AOC she's just all in for the trials right now it's a pretty exciting time to talk to athletes because they're nervous they're excited everything's going on She's racing the 1500 this weekend, guys. Her PBs have gone from 424 to 412. She never races the 15. And now she's talking about getting the Olympic standard for kicks, which is 406. So that's definitely worth listening to. All right. I want to start with this victory lap of Rojo's. We'll we'll give him his due. I just want to know, Robert, can we be clear? What exactly did you predict to happen this past week? Well, do you want me to play the tweet that's up, that's gone worldwide on Twitter? I mean, do I need to remind you of what uh, I said? You do need to remind me. I want to know what exactly you predicted. Well, it kind of depends. I'm afraid that some VIP subscribers might actually, when I made a time prediction, it was slightly different than what I said in this following clip. Look, if 10 flat is world class, 
And Shikari Richards is 10-7. I think you split the difference. And I think that 10-3, 10-3-5 range is kind of realistic. There's no way in my mind that he could pull out Shikari Richardson. There you go, folks. So I said split the difference between 10-7 and 10-flat. That's 10-3-5. The guy runs 10-3-7. At one point, I did say my final prediction was a 10-4. But, hey, that's pretty pretty darn close. Well, yeah, Rob, actually, uh, I'm kind of bummed you got out ahead of this. Uh, perhaps you anticipated my role on this podcast is sort of stat boy, correction man, and I am also a VIP subscriber. I'm part of this Friday 15 podcast that we put out every week on Friday that you can get to if you go to letsrun.com slash subscribe and join our supporters club. But just want to say, this is what Robert said. This was his final, final prediction on that podcast. He started ripping Otto Bolden, but because I, I think he is being disrespectful to the sprinters in general, but... I'm still going to go, I said under 10-4. I think he's going to run in the 10-4s. That's my final prediction. Okay. And his final time, just to be clear, was 10.37. So Robert's final final prediction was wrong. It was more accurate than Otto Bolden. His NBC is, do I have an agent? Is NBC calling me up to do sprint analysis? I mean, I only got scared off because I heard you talking about how big he was and et cetera. On a serious note, I actually, I really as good as Shikari Richardson is, and we're going to talk about that, I just thought this guy has to be significantly faster than the fastest woman in the world. And I'm just like, if he runs over 10-5, like Otto Bolden thought he might run, I'm like, he's barely any faster than Shikari Richardson. So I got a little bit nervous, and that's actually true with Jared Nagus. We're going to get into that as well. Did I back off? Did I betray him in my vows? Yeah, I don't want to get too much into the supporters club predictions because... My Cole Hawker prediction. I decided to go big like Roja and rant like an idiot and was proven embarrassingly wrong. But I'm going to be like Robert from the in the future and just like make one prediction here, one there, and like 50% of them are, are bound to be correct. And I don't think I was introduced correctly. I need to correct this Cole Hawker thing to deflect. Please refer to me as Weldon Johnson, Mount San Antonio College, 10,000-meter champion. The audience needs to know who I am, especially of this week, one of the greatest track meets in the country now. It's on national TV, just like when I was competing. It's funny. I did see that this meet was referred to. Well, there was one article by someone who doesn't normally cover track. And it was referred to as like the prestigious meet. I'm like, this meet was invented three weeks ago by USATF. There's no press. Like, yes, there are good athletes competing, but there is zero prestige whatsoever connected to the USATF Golden Games and Distance Open or whatever it was. John, isn't this the Mount San, Mount Sac meet? What are you talking about? It's very prestigious. You're talking about the Mount Sac relays, which are quite prestigious, but this was not the Mount Sac relays, well then. They went through the long history of who was running this race and the thing. This was the Mount Sac relays this year, I think. No, no, it wasn't. That was not the name of the meet. This was not the Mount Sac relays. They might be back next year. This was the USATF Golden Games. Which re- How many relays did you see this weekend, well then? Good point, good point. Too many good points. But big picture was people were talking about track and field, and DK, DK Metcalf more than held his own. I think, John, you were saying the same thing. 70 or 80 meters of that race, he looked like he totally belonged. And I, but I have a question. Can some of those scientists, physicists out there, we got a smart audience. I think it might be, I think the term might be parallax. I think lane one looks closer just because of the angle. They look ahead of people in lane eight early in the race. Anyone else think that was what was going on there? 
Yeah, but I mean, I've watched I've watched hundred meter races before, so I kind of know to account for that in my mind while I'm watching. They usually use the same angle in hundred meter races. But anyway, yeah, I thought Metcalf was you know he ran well. I don't want to spend the whole show talking about DK Metcalf. I feel like we've given this guy enough attention. He does, you know obviously it's a very interesting storyline. Ten three seven. I thought it was a, the biggest thing. It's a win win for everyone. It's a win for DK Metcalf because he shows up. He doesn't get embarrassed. But it's a win for the sport of track and field because he still finished last in his heat and he clearly, you know, wasn't one of the best. He started, his form fell apart a little bit the last 20 meters. And that shows that, yes, there is still a difference between the best in the NFL and the best in the world in sprinting. So I thought it was the best possible outcome. You've got Patrick Mahomes tweeting about some track meet in May. I mean, when has that ever happened before? So I I thought it was uh, good news all around. But there might other takeaway is there's one guy with world-class speed in the NFL and that's Tyree kill. I mean, this, I learned this. I can't believe I didn't know this. He was a world junior bronze medalist at 200 meters. I think fourth in the hundred. Is that what I said last time? Anyway, U S champion, the guy has world-class speed. I think Tyree kill could make the Olympic. Maybe now it's been too far, but I think he has the potential to possibly make the Olympics if he went full-time at a track, but you know, why would you do that when you make the money that they're making? Right. I mean, if he stuck with it out of high school, this guy, he ran 0.05 of a second slower than the high school record of 20.09 by Noah Lyles in the 200. Like he had the potential to be a terrific 200 guy. And it's funny. I have a friend who doesn't even follow track and field. And he just texted me this morning. He's like, so I saw that DK Metcalf thing. Like, what do you think Tyreek Hill could have done? And, you know, this is someone who would never be texting me about track and field in May. And now he's, he's curious about Tyreek Hill. So he's at least interested. So, yeah, I would be interested to see what... T- I thought Tyreek Hill, didn't he say he was going to try to make the Olympics? He was going to do the Olympic trials? He said it after they won the Super Bowl last year. And now he's backed off on that. I kind of Where's Tyreek Hill? Okay, I guess no one knows where Tyreek Hill is. So let's let's talk about, other, are we done on DK Metcalf here? Because I think there are some other big storylines coming out of this meet. Ellie Puria soloing a 358. That was incredible. Shikari Richardson running 10-7 twice. Where else do you guys want to discuss Mount Sac? Well, I'm glad you think there are big storylines, John, because other than the sprint stuff, I'm not sure what I learned from this meet. Let's briefly talk about Shikari Richardson. I mean, she doesn't seem to understand how important wind is because she's like she was she was clearly when you run ten seven in the prelims, not going all out, you expect to see a ten six in the final. And she runs ten seven again, but it's because she ran into a headwind. And you 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 did the math, right? If she has a two point tailwind, she runs ten six zero. Is that right? I mean, that's insane. No, she runs ten ten five ten five uh ten five eight, I believe. And no one's ever run that. The, is the fastest time in, in in history the world record, which is what ten four eight or something. So the world record is Flojo's ten four nine, which is universally regarded as suspicious for a couple reasons, but one being that there was a zero zero wind when you know most evidence anecdotally at the time of that race there was definitely some wind there. So somewhat suspicious. Outside of that, the fastest time ever is Flojo's ten six one from the same meet in the final. Because remember, she broke the world record in the Olympic trials quarterfinal, which is just. Totally absurd. So, yeah, you're talking about Shikari Richardson. I mean, ten five eight. That is, that's what her equivalent performance was. If this was with a friendly tailwind, it's one of the fastest hundreds ever. I mean, it does seem like we're going to see a ten six here, which is a time we haven't seen since two thousand nine when Carmelita Jetta did that. It's pretty crazy what she's doing because she she ran that ten seven seven in the prelim. Sorry, ten seven four in the prelims. 
and made it look easy. Wait, my good friend Carmelita ran a 10-6? 10-6-4. So I'm supposed to say she was better than Shelly Ann Fraser Price? Her PR is faster. I don't think she. There's no argument you can say she was better than Shelly Ann Fraser Price has won a dozen, you know, global titles. Kamala Jeda won one. So I don't think you can make that argument, but her PR is faster. Yeah, this is crazy. I'm looking at the all time list. Mia Flojo is 1049. And also, in the quarterfinal of an Olympic trials, it's an erasure you're not even trying to go all out in. And now, it is amazing how sometimes people run fast in those races, but usually it's not like world record fast by like 0.15 or whatever it would have been at the time. More than that, who knows what the old record was. I mean, that's cra- like they, that just needs to go. It's like someone running 9.46 in the men's, on the men's side in a quarterfinal. Like, it's, it's just so, it's laughably absurd. Well, the. If it wasn't the record, then Carmelita Jeter, my good friend, would be the world record holder with 10.64. If not, then you'd have Marion Jones at 10.65. I don't think Walden knows the, the podcast listeners may not know why you refer to her as your good friend. I was saying that tongue in cheek because, let's see, this goes way back to the, what, 2012 Olympics. Carmelita's agent, Mark Block, was banned for the sport for 10 years. And wasn't supposed to have any contact with the sport. Then it comes out with some investigation by some people on Twitter and Let's Run and whatnot that Carmelita was, you know, spotted in meets with Mark Block. Someone correct me if I'm wrong on this stuff. So we asked questions about her, and I was in the London Olympics and asked her a question either after the 200, it might have been after the 200 or one of her medal races, and she didn't like it. I wish they had the audio of it. It was she made me feel like shit. But that's some of the beauty of, of the press conference at the Olympics. You have the assembled media around the world there, and it's sort of your opportunity to alert them what's going on. So then immediately, I had the guy from like Yahoo Sports, Washington Post, come up to me and they're like, "Hey, what's going on? You sound like we're knowing about track." And I'm like, "Here's the facts. You know, I'm I'm just asking about her agent." Because she was constantly sort of defending Mark Block, and I, I didn't think he's someone who should be defended. Well, can we just lay out cards on the table here about the women's 100-meter all-time list? I mean, Florence Griffin Joyda was running, running miles faster than everyone else in the 80s. And then if you look at the other two women who have broken 10.7 for 100 meters, Kamalita Jeddah is one of them. Kamalita Jeddah, through the end of 2007 which was her age 27 season, she had never broken 11 seconds for 100 meters. The next year, she gets down to 10.97 as a 28-year-old. And at the age of 29, she goes from 10.97 down to 10.64. So, I don't know. That seems like a remarkable, almost unbelievable progression of times. And then you've got the other woman who's under 10.7, Marion Jones. We all know one of the most notorious dopers in the history of the sport. So, when you get down to that fast, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on Shikari Richardson here. Look, I, I, I don't know. I have no. She is coached by Dennis Mitchell, but I have no. You know, there's no any sort of link. I'm just saying, if you look at the women who have run 10-6, there, I think there are legitimate questions to be asked about all of them. For sure. I mean, it comes to the territory in sprinting and or our sport in general. But I think some of those people you mentioned, there's extra questions you're going to ask. And Marion Jones, she was one of the greatest high school sprinters, or maybe ever. But and then she later was a doper. So these things aren't mutually exclusive. 
But Shakari Richardson, I'm wondering if she's like the greatest sprinter ever. I mean, I've never seen something like this just consistently now 10-7. I agree. I, yeah, I mean, the, the history of women sprinting and men's sprinting is so filled with, with dopers. I hope people aren't drawing a conclusion because sometimes we are trying to draw a conclusion. I think she's clean. And yes, yeah, she's going to be like the same bolt of, of women's sprinting. It's a shame that we've got Flojo and Marion Jones. Oh, by the way, Marion did have a positive in high school. Um, you know, so Weldon talks about her high school times, sort of with those times ahead of Shikari, because otherwise Shikari would just, I, I still think she's posed to make so much money over the next six, seven years up through the LA Olympics, but she, she's amazing. I, I love watching her run. Um, I like how she's very just out there and open in her interviews and all the best to her. Yeah. I mean, she, she ran ten seven five as a 19 year old freshman at LSU. I mean, clearly she's one of, if not the biggest talent the sports ever seen in the hundred meters. And, I think this summer, if she could, you know, if she can get a friendly tailwind and, and good warm conditions, I wouldn't be shocked to see her run ten six. And we've so, you know, we've already said how historically impressive that would be. And it's it's actually going to be fun in two, not this weekend, but next weekend, the hundred meter diamond league opener. We've got Shikari Richardson, Elaine Thompson, Hira, Dina Asher Smith, and Shelly Ann Fraser Price. So that is going to be one hell of a field. And it's going to be, you know, maybe the conditions aren't going to be great. It's in Gateshead, England, which is the northeast of England in middle of May. But it's a heck of a field, and I'm going to be very excited to see how she stacks up against them. I mean, is that basically the Olympic final in May? It's amazing. And that's what I like to see. I like to see a big matchup early in the season, maybe one right, a few months, maybe a month before the Olympics, and then the Olympics. I don't need to see it every week. And that's some of the things. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the USATF Golden Games and the distance races. I mean, it didn't really do it for me. What did I really learn from these other races is my question to you, Jonathan. I mean, you know, women's 800, there was a couple 158s. I, the most interesting thing to me was to have former greats, Kate Grace and Brenda Martinez, relegated to the B heat. And they both sort of resurrected their careers in a sense. I mean, Brenda hadn't broken too flat in like three or four years. She runs 159. Kate Grace wins it in 159. So good to see them running well, but sort of, I mean, Jim Enrique running 158, Laura Muir running 158, Melissa Bishop running 158. None of that was shocking to me. Um, I, I, I was pleased with the way Laura Muir ran. I really think she needs to learn to time things perfectly, get the effort through. And I thought she just ran a, a fairly smart race there. Um, but I guess Sinclair Johnson broke two for the first time, 159.91. Raven Rogers was the big story, though, to me in this one. Didn't look great, the world silver medalist. She did close well. I mean, she's running 159.6. It's okay. But what about these other races here? Well, just actually a little bit more on the 800. I thought Raven Rogers, she was she was 11th place with 200 to go. She was just horribly positioned, but she closed very well. It kind of reminded me when she was mowing down the field in Doha in 2019, I'm not too worried about her as long as she gets her tactics straightened out by the trials. And what I want to give a shout out to Melissa Bishop here. She's 32 years old. She just ran 158 for 800 meters. That's not easy to do. Like she had a kid a couple of years ago, and you know, remember 2016. If it wasn't for the uh, DSD athletes, she would have been your Olympic champion. Then 2017, she was fifth at the World Championships, and then she gives birth, and she hadn't broken two minutes until the end of the 2017 season. 
But then she did it on May 2nd in Chula Vista, and then she goes down to 158.62 here. So that's a pretty impressive comeback for Melissa, Melissa Bishop Nriagu. The 800 is ridiculous for U.S. women. I just looked this up. 15 women have gone sub two this year in the world, and eight are in the U.S. I mean, making this Olympic team. I mean, I think Mo is the world leader. But then you've got Ajay Wilson. Okay, so you thinking, oh, maybe they're locks. Oh, wait, Raven Rogers was the silver medalist at the last Worlds. I mean, if those three are on, Kate Grace was an Olympic finalist last time. Like, forget about it. I mean, but Brenda Rogers, she has world's medals. I mean, who's Brenda Rogers? Brendan Martinez. You say Brendan Martinez? Brenda. Okay. Brenda. All right. I think I'm turning into Robert and like mangling everything. I, th- I thought I heard you say Shaleen earlier this podcast. Well, then. So I just want to keep you honest on this. God, lack of sleep, lack of sleep. And one of those eight isn't even the Hannah Green. So going to be a lot of sub eights. I mean, the U.S. is, is really strong in that event. Uh,. Other events that stood out to me, Robert, I would say Sean McGordy's steeplechase debut, definitely. We've got a new player on the scene here in the U.S. steeple. I mean, he runs 820. He wins it in his debut. This is a guy who's run... He was an NCAA champion at 5,000 meters in college. He's run 1306. And now he might be a favorite to make the Olympic team. I mean, do you? what do you think about how he looked in his debut on Sunday night? I'll rephrase the question. Where do we what do we think about his Olympic chances right now after that eight twenty debut? Well, I think he's pretty much a lock for the Olympic team. So you just ignore like you're just saying Hillary Bohr, the reigning U.S. champion. He's run eight zero. He's made the last you know he ran well in the last World Championship final. He's is he on your team anymore? Like what about Jaga? I think McGordy's really good. I probably would pick him. I don't think I don't think it's fair to call him a lock after running one steeple in his life. He he almost got beat by Dan Mikulski in the final hundred meters there. Okay, I gotta admit, John, I didn't watch this race, so didn't know how he looked, but perhaps lock was too strong. To me, the big story was he looked good. Or, you know, I mean he ran well. <laughs> he did look good. I'll confirm that. I saw him running. He looked pretty solid to me. It sounds like he looks good, you know. It from what, the results look good to Robert. Yeah, I saw this race for viewers who didn't see it. So Sean McGordy, he's a Bowerman Track Club guy, thirteen low five k runner, makes a steeple debut, runs eight twenty, looks really good, wins it. Evan Jager, our eternal hope to be the first American under eight minutes in the steeple chase. He only rabbited two k of this race, and he had a giant look like a bruise or mark on his shoulder. People are saying that's indicative of cupping, which is like a physical therapy thing. So I don't think it's a great sign that Jager didn't run the full 3K. He has not completed a steeple since 2018. Is that correct? Yeah. So steeple now is really wide open in the United States. And I'm like Robert. McGordy's on the team. I think he's going to make the team. That's his first steeple. I assume you have a lot of potential to learn your next one. I mean, I guess he still may not be used to like hurdling and a crowd or something like that. That may be more difficult for him. So I shouldn't say he's a lock, but he looked really good. But then, as you said, John, this like no name guy you've never heard of who got his like second PR in a week, I think was right there with him. So, I mean, that guy got to start putting him in the Olympic attention. Everybody, both these guys got the Olympic standard. So if you got the standard and you're in the eight twenties in the U S you're in, you're in the Olympic talk. So, 
Well, can we? I, Dan Mikalski, I mean, he was the he was he almost won the NCAA title in 2019. If you remember, he was leading at the lost water jump with Stephen Fahey of Stanford right next to him, and then he fell on the water jump. He faded to about seventh or something. But now he's a full-time cross-country coach at some D3 school down in Texas while he's also, he was running the tracksmith uniform. So I think he's got a pretty cool story. There's actually a bunch of cool stories in the steeple. You've got Isaac Updike, who suddenly made this huge improvement. Mason Furlick, the NCAA champion, took him five years to PR. Now he's in the mix and running as well as he ever has. I think, and then can Cabene, like Stanley Cabene tried the marathon last year and now he's back in the steeple. Hillary Boar's still around. He's the reigning champ. Jager, does he have anything left? I mean, I think this is a fascinating event. Right now, I look, McGordy's more talented than some of these other guys. I'm not 100% he's on the team, but I would pick him. I'd pick Jager, and then I think it's whoever, you know, was one spot remaining. That's kind of how I'm leaning right now. You know, I'm sure like Mason Furlock fans are upset, but the, the way I viewed McGordy, Locke was probably too far, but he runs 820 the first time he ever runs it. I mean, Mason Furlock's been running his entire life. He's been running really well this year, and he had just run 818 like a week or two ago. You know, Hillary bore 808 in the past. He ran 822 in that race, was beaten by Furlock a couple weeks ago. And then Cabani, you know, we're talking about he's the, his wife gave birth to twins. He'd only run 830, even though he's run 811 in the past. So I don't know, but... The bigger story to me is Jager clearly hasn't been healthy. The fact that he's not running this thing is the whole thing is a bad sign. And it's kind of this event is starting to remind me a little bit like the men's 1500. It's like, this sounds bad, but who cares who makes the team? These guys aren't going to medal anyways. It's going to be weird. It's not going to be Kenya this year. It's going to be Ethiopia just sweeping these medals. Ethiopia is the new steeple powerhouse. Jager had better get his act together if he wants to get a medal. And it's just kind of an interesting event from that standpoint of things. But yeah, I, I don't think it's good that Jager's not just able to go out and run 815 in this thing and finish it up. Okay, John, I need to mark that comment right there. Ethiopia will not be sweeping the medals at the Olympics. I, I will mark that comment right there and replay that to you come August 7th or whatever the date is. Well, what if Conceslas Kiprudo is in jail at that point? Like, his trial, I was just trying... Like, people kind of... Have everyone forgotten that the greatest steeplechaser in the world... He was arrested on defilement charges, I believe, is the or charged with defilement, uh, is the terminology. You know, sex with a minor in Kenya. That trial, I believe, when the news story is broken, like November, it's supposed to be scheduled for May. We, I don't, I haven't heard any news about it, but it should be coming out soon, I assume. So, if he's not around, I wouldn't be shocked. I would. I mean, look, the metal sweep is pretty unlikely, but Ethiopia has. Getnet Wale ran seven twenty four indoors this year. Lamecha Goma almost beat Conceslas Kipruto in twenty nineteen. I mean, I think Ethiopia could be the power if Kipruto's not around. If Jaga's not one hundred percent, you still got Sufyan El Bakali, but Ethiopia's damn good at the steeple now. Well, I think it's interesting for Jager because if Capruto's gone, you've got you know you've always had the one the, the Kim boys and the Capruto's basically the, the 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 one guy unbeatable that the Jager could never beat, and I would love to see his career record against Kim boy and Capruto, and you know preventing him from getting a gold. Now those unbeatable runners may be gone, but there's a lot more depth coming up from Ethiopia, which makes it you know interesting on that front. Now, Robert, I want to talk, you mentioned the 1500 there. I want to talk about that event too, because you sort of said, well, why should we get excited? Is anyone going to medal? And I just have a question. I mean, 
the the results of this race, it was very similar to what we saw in Eugene a couple weeks ago at the Oregon Relays. Ollie Hall wins it, 333. Justin Knight is the only one who goes with him, 333 right behind him. And then the next, there's a big gap. Third place is Henry Wynn, 336, 86. And then it's Prekel, Avila, Engels, all sort of clustered close behind him. And oh, have we reached the point where Justin Knight is just easily the best better than like all of America's best 1500 runners. Like would he be, would he win the trials right now? If he was running the 1500 at the Olympic trials in the U S the answer is no to that, but this was embarrassed. I was embarrassed watching this. I mean, the U S 1500 meters so weak right now, like Matthew Centrowitz, please show yourself, show what's going on. I mean, I say that yet yeah, we have Cole Hawker and Nagust and these guys, but like these guys are professionals and up front, you got Ollie Hoare, John, a coincidence on athletics, Starts their countdown of the trials. Dominant victory. Hasn't won anything else be- this year before this. Just kidding. But. <laughs> anyway, he did what we expected, right? This guy's on fire. He's got to make the Olympic team. And there's no trials race for him. He can't rest on his rolls. He's got to go out and run fast every single time. He just takes it from the gun. They went out fast. I think it was 151. Something yeah. crazy yeah. like that. And I guess maybe the other guys behind was, were thought this was too fast. But they made no attempt to get 335. They're sort of stuck. And it was just, I'm like, like, Crane Gingles, what the hell are you doing? There used to be so much potential to, to this guy. And now you're getting smoked by Justin Knight? Like, Justin Knight's a 5K runner. So it, maybe Craig's been dealing with some injuries, you know, coaching. Actually, no coaching change because he wasn't with Alberto. So it's like the last trials, that's now five years ago. And now there's a good chance that Craig Ingles isn't on the Olympic team. And then what's he going to do? Like, look forward three more years? It's just, this was disappointing. I mean, guys have a month, five weeks. What is it? The trial's five weeks from this weekend to get it all together. But, and some of these guys, you know, maybe they're in 332 shape by then and looking great. And we're like, hey, they were just, you know, they're playing the long game and we're focused on the short game. But... It was very unimpressive to me. Yeah, well, I, look, I don't want to totally rip everyone. Like, 336 and 337, it's not like that's a terrible performance. Like, that's that's all right, especially if you're peaking, you know, if trial a month out from trials. That's not, a, like, utter disaster. I'm just kind of shocked how far ahead, like you said, Weldon, Justin Knight's a 5K guy, and he just absolutely destroyed some of the best American 1500 runners. Yep. And I think probably ignorance is bliss. He probably just had his mindset, like, I'm going to hang with this. I don't care if I embarrass myself and blow up. Who cares? I'm sure that was kind of the plan with Chris Fox. Just, hey, go with it and see what happens. And he rewarded himself with a huge PB. Look, when when I watched this race, I had the same sort of gut reaction that Weldon did, but I don't think it's fair to Craig Ingles. He's not a 333 runner. Why would we expect him to be able to go run maybe the Super Shoes, but he had the super shoes in 2019 and didn't run 333 either. Why would we expect him to be able to go out and run 333 in early May just because, you know, it's an Olympic year and he needs to be in shape? The reality of the matter is, even when he won the world title, the U.S. title in 2019, guess what he opened up at? He ran outdoors on June 9th. That's a month from now. He ran 335.32. But his PB, his lifetime PB is 334.04. And that was the year he got 10th in the world. So, yeah, shoes technology have changed, but I assume he had the super shoes in 2019. So he's just, these guys are better than he is. I mean, that's a reality. They're better. These are three. How many Americans ever have been running in early May, 332, 333? Let's ignore the shoes. Just those times. I can't think of anybody. Maybe Alan Webb. I don't know. 
Yeah, but also, how many of them have been in a race? What, like, six weeks out from the trials, you have to be, start be getting in pretty good shape. Where it's led from the front in 333. Like, this was the perfect opportunity to run that fast if you were that fit. With a guy just towing you along running 333 from the front. I wouldn't say many Americans have had that opportunity. Look, I don't think it's a total disaster. I just think there's a gap right now that they need to close between them and the best in the world. Well, the same thing is true in the 5,000 and 10,000, etc. Well, now you can't just make it up in your mind. We're not going to be competitive. None of these guys are going to be meddling in the 1,500. Or we have one medal hope in the 1,500. Who is it? And, and that's a professional, and that's Matthew Centrowitz. And then we've got our college hopefuls in Year of Nagoose. And Cole Hawker. We'll get to them in a minute. Let's keep talking about these other races. I did that. And I said, what did we really learn? That race, I didn't learn anything. It was the same race from two weeks ago. Shout out to Ali Hoare and Justin Knight for running well. Um, Some people can debate. People are debating whether this means Justin Knight can medal in the Olympics. Answer, absolutely not. Have you seen how stacked the 5,000 meters is? He is not going to medal. He's not even going to be with them when it comes time to kick in that race. I feel bad for him. Do, do people of his talent level and his speed have they medaled in the past? Yes, some people have. I mean, Tegan Camp was fourth. He, he's probably in that type of range. Mohamed's fourth. I mean, has medaled, but come on, dude. The, the 5,000 is going to be the most sick event in the Olympics. Also, Mohamed's is a lot better than Justin Knight at 5K. Mohamed's run 12.47. Like, he, Justin Knight's never beaten Mohamed in a 5K. So th- there is a gap between those two. But no, this was... I, this was a good run by Justin Knight. I, I should give him credit. Like people, I'm acting like losing to Justin Knight. Look, when you, a guy runs 3:33, that's a great run for Justin Knight. So I don't want to totally crap all over him. The other event I thought was really interesting. I mean, I thought I lo- like I expected Ellie Puria to be able to break four minutes in the 1500. That did not surprise me. But leading it from the front, she basically did this solo and then destroying Gabriella Debut Stafford, who was sixth at the Lost Worlds who has run 356 low, Ellie Puria put almost two, over two seconds on her, basically, over the last 150. And I looked at the stats, 2019 World Championship Final, Houlihan finished 1.13 seconds ahead of uh, Gabriella W. Stafford. On this, in this race, Ellie Puria was 2.33. It's not a perfect comparison, but I'm kind of curious, like, do you think Ellie Puria could challenge Shelby Houlihan at the Olympic trials and let's remember, Shelby Houlihan has not even raced yet outdoors this year. You you nailed it, John. I'm starting to get worried about the Bauer and people that haven't raced. Supposedly, Lopez and some of these people are going to be racing this weekend. We're going to see where they are. When Jager doesn't finish that race, I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe they're not just getting in shape. Maybe they're actually hurt or dinged up. And and that's a concern for me. So, yes, this was a great – what did I learn? This was very impressive. We thought she would break four, John, but she basically did this totally solo from the front by herself. I know she had a rabbit, but it was really impressive. I, I thought she was fantastic, and she needs to run the 1,500 at the trials. She's going to make that team, as is Houlihan, assuming she's healthy, and, and then we've got the, you know, the, the, the third spot there. Um, one other note that I noticed in this race that, that caught my attention farther down, Natalia Goal. The Jamaican 800-meter runner, 408.66 PB. That's good for her. She is such a speed demon. To see her working on these pure, almost these people you think as four 800-meter runners, to see her working on her 1500 and getting down to 48, 
that's pretty scary to me. I think, uh, you know, she certainly has the potential to be uh, in the medal hunt and, and particularly, and even in the gold medal hunt. I never thought she's been the smartest 800 meter runner, but if she gets that endurance, w- w- when you have that endurance, you can make more moves than 800. You know, my favorite saying is you've only got one move in the 800, but if, if, if her, her kind of move, is just go out hard and hold on, which is a terrible way to try to medal. Um, so maybe now she'll be able to run with the pack and, and kick with them. The other result that stood out to me from this race was Shannon Osika running four flat for third place. Now she's run four oh one before. I mean she's she's been like in she's been in USA finals before. I think it's been seventh, sixth, and seventh the last three US finals, but she's never been someone where you thought, oh, she's got a real shot to make the team. And I think that has changed this time around. I think she's in that mix for this third that third spot. Now it's kind of dependent on Sinclair Johnson. We haven't really seen her run a big fifteen hundred yet. She ran one you know, a few months ago with Gabrielle Debut Stafford, and they only ran 410. You know, that they weren't going for time in that race. She's running at the track meet this weekend, Sinclair Johnson is, so we'll get a read on her. But I was impressed by Shane Osika, and on the other end, Nikki Hiltz, I thought they didn't run very... Run, I mean, this is a person who ran 401 in 2019, made the World Championship final. They're only running 409 in a 358 race. I don't think it was a great race for Nikki Hiltz. No, and at the beginning of the show, I said, do we want to stick a fork in her too? I mean, Jenny Simpson runs 410, and, and, and I was wondering about it. I, I really think, I don't know, Nikki gets a lot of criticism. Some people, you know, on, on the message boards, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but the criticism I want to give her is, you ran amazing in 2019. Why did you change coaches? Terrence Mahan is an amazing coach, and yet you wanted to be, to maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a happiness in life and stuff like that, but the fact that she changed coaches to me, I don't know if performance was her number one focus. I think she would have stuck with Terrence Mahan. Okay. We'll do it again. Yeah, I think Robert just realized that John and I started counting with our hands. The number of times Robert used the word she or her when referring to Nikki, it's a point of contention because Nikki, you know, has come out as transgender or non-binary transgender. And her preferred, oh shit, I just did it there. Their preferred pronouns, John, is that how you say it? Yes. Nikki's preferred pronouns, their preferred pronouns. Nikki's preferred pronouns are now they and them. And well, one, we got a, someone blasted us with a review on iTunes because we said she and her, but people, you need to back off a bit. We want to be respectful to Nikki and call her, call they what she wants to be called, but we're going to make mistakes. You know, this isn't, this is difficult for everyone. And also a little perspective. Nikki was on a podcast herself and said, yeah, I'm now, I want they and them. But when she came out and announced this, F it, I did it again. I'm going to keep doing it. It's not intentional. They said her preferred pronouns were she, they, and then it changed. Like I'm right here reading an article from out.com where it says Nikki now uses she, they as personal pronouns. So since making her big announcement, they changed them. So look, Lee Diffie on the podcast said she, I mean, Nikki has always competed as a woman in the female division. People are going to say she from time to time, get over yourselves. Look, we want to be respectful for Nikki, but Nikki understands. Caitlyn Jenner understands people are going to mix things up. I want her to live the the authentic life she can live. But if if some announcer says she while a broadcast is going on, like you know, it's 
I'm fine okay. with it, actually. We get it. I'm sorry that I said she. I listened to a podcast where she said she and they, and she didn't care. So apparently it's changed. And I apologize for that. Rate and review us five stars because now but, we're going to have everybody go after us and give us like zero stars. So No, I did see this fans. podcast review and, and people said, oh, and, and they said they should do the biological sex. I do think the announcer, and they did it again this week when they brought her up, when they brought they up, they did not say Nikki's biological sex. And I think they should, because I think a lot of viewers are going to assume that this is a person who was a male who has now transitioned to be non-binary. They're not going to realize that she's coming, that they, that Nikki is coming from the, has always was, was before this was a female. It's just important because obviously you can see with DK Metcalf being faster than fastest, than the fastest woman in the history of the world, that your biological sex does matter. Right. So, Nikki is a female. I mean, that hasn't changed. So, like, sex is male, female. I think almost we should use. If it, well, sex, sex is not gender. Sex, sex is not male. Sex is not male, female. Castor Semenya is intersex. Robert, the intersex. It's it's like a it's like an edge case of anything. There's there's two sexes primarily. There's random cases for everything. Some people have you know like six toe like six. Toe, you say people have five toes. Yes, yeah, some people have six. Let's just carry on. We get the point. The point, the main point is Nikki is not running well this year and she doesn't have much, they don't have much, Nikki doesn't have much time to get it together. So she wants to be on the team. She made the world championship team in 2019. If Nikki wants to be on the team in Tokyo, they got to get it going quick. No, she's not going to make the team. I don't think, unfortunately, stick a fork in her. The other person I'm sticking a fork in is Molly Huddle. John, how many U.S. titles in a row she won at 10,006, seven, five. Well, close enough. 15-23 in the 5,000. Uh, how old is she? I don't know how it's fallen so quickly, but she just has not looked good. She dropped out of a 5,000 a few weeks ago. I wanted to see something better than this. That's She's got too much ground to make up. I'm writing her off. And also, folks, Drew Hunter fanboys and Tim and Elite fanboys who think it's always the coach that's the problem. Did you guys see Alexa Frameson? I mean, this was a former team prodigy. She switches coaches this year, gives up on her high school coach because she really has been struggling. She hasn't broken her high school PR. She's been a pro for, what, five years or something like that. Switches to Pete Julian. She runs 206.50 in the 800 this weekend. That's terrible. Stick a fork in her. So it's not always the coach's fault. Oftentimes, it's normally not the coach's fault. And uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I know Weldon and John think, oh, yeah, people switch coaches all the time and get a lot better. Not normally. A lot of, most of these coaches know what they're doing. They know how to coach elite talent, and I'm not sure what else to say about that. Well, Robert, just going around sticking forks on half of the American women right now. I mean, I want to go back to Molly Hunt. Look, Ephraimson hadn't been running well this year, so, I mean, stick a fork. Look, I'm not going to stick a fork in her career, but this she's not making this Olympic team. I think that much is obvious. N- Molly Huddle, I think, is interesting because she has made she's made every world championship or Olympic team dating back to 2011. She's a former American record holder in the 5,000, still holds it in the 10,000. She made the, I mean, she won USA's in 2019. So has it fallen apart quickly? I mean, you could say this, but you could also say, well, look, she was trying to focus on the marathon. And I think this isn't always the case with everyone, but I think for Molly, the marathon training, it does put a significant strain on her body. Every time she goes up to the marathon, it becomes that much more difficult for her to come back and regain some of that track speed. And we're at the point now, she's 36 years old. She's had a long and decorated career, but 
the level is as high as it's ever been in the U.S. 10,000 meter running. I mean, she just ran 15.23 at this meet at Mount Sac. Earlier this year, we had Carissa Schweizer and Elise Cranny run that back-to-back in the 10K when they ran 30.47. So, yeah, I think Molly Huddle, in terms of being... This year, at least, she's not going to have time. Maybe she could get back to that level, but I think she's probably... She's got some decisions to make looking forward. Is she going to continue running on the track at all? Is she just going to go back to the marathon for the next couple of years, even though she hasn't had quite the success that she wanted in that event? I think it's going to be interesting to see what Molly Huddle does from here, but I think I'd be shocked if she makes this Olympic team at this point. John, you're missing the most obvious thing. Does she go back to the marathon the next couple of years? Does she retire the next couple of years? Well, yeah, I think that's a question to ask as well. She's 36. She's not good at the marathon, particularly. She doesn't really like the marathon. I know she was second in New York one year. so Third. Third in New York. So. Yeah, and one, all right, one last question I have from this meet at Mount Sac. Well, actually, I mean, we had sprint stuff. I don't think, look, no Lyles, Kenny Benaric. I thought that was a pretty good 200. I guess we can talk about that. But I have, a que- I have something I need to bring up here. Donovan Brazier scratches from the 800 meters. We're very excited to see Hopple versus Murphy versus Harris versus Brazier. It was going to be a measuring stick meet. And then Donovan, it comes out a couple days before the meet. He's actually scratched from the meet. And I reached out to his coach, Pete Julian. I said, you know, why isn't he running? He said, ankle flare up. He's doing better. I pulled him. He wanted to run, but getting that guy to summer healthy is my top priority. No arguments there. I think he'll still be all right. It doesn't sound like it's that serious, but... Obviously, when you're scratching from a meet six weeks out from the trials, it's not ideal preparation. So something to monitor, but I'm not too worried about it at this point. I'm not worried about that at all. He's talented enough that he he can afford to have a small hiccup six weeks out. And to be honest, this was the big 800. Nothing anything else did scares me. Bryce Hopple, 144.9. Cerrone, 145.1. Clayton Murphy, 145.3. Murphy does beat Harris. I think that Olympic team is going to be Hopple. Brazier and Murphy, just like I said it was going to be. This is going to be the ultimate vindication for me this year. 2021 is just shaping up to be amazing for me. John, the question I have about this race is the women's steeplechase. Again, this was another race I didn't actually watch because it was at, it was at night. Fryricks and Fall, you know, Leah Fallen, the, the onrunner, they were only one second apart. How close was that race at the end? I'm shocked that that, that, that Fryricks only beat her by one second based on time, but, but was this something she had in the bag the whole time? She pretty much had it in the bag. I mean, she had the she opened up a gap the last couple laps, and then Leah Fallon did close it down. She ran she closed pretty well. Actually, I'm trying to remember. Maybe they had the same. Actually, I'm gonna pull up the splits right now. Because they might have actually run the exact same. Yeah, they ran the exact same final lap, which was 111.11. So Leah closed pretty well, but I think talking to Courtney after the race, I got the impression from her she wasn't too worried. This was just about getting back to the event, running a race, you know, getting that trial standard, you know, all that sort of thing. I I don't think she was too concerned. She's like, yeah, it, it was fine, you know, and she got the win. I think she's capable of running a lot faster. And whereas Leah Fallon, I thought this was a good race for her. Her and Marissa Howard both got under the Olympic standard, but I think this was like a really good race for Leah Fallon. It was basically just like a, a an opening, you know, rust buster for Courtney Frerichs. I think Courtney Frerichs has a lot of room to improve. So I'm, I still think there's a pretty significant gap, uh, but I can get by just looking at the results, you know, you could draw the conclusion, hey, this was actually pretty close. 
I mean, the crazy thing is it was like one second. There was, this one was never in doubt, but it's not like Courtney was jogging it in or anything. I mean, she was comfortably ahead the whole final lap or most of the final lap. But I think, I mean, Leah's really resurrected her, her career now with Ritz and as Alicia Monson, you'll hear from her, she'll talk about how important Leah was sort of getting her to sign on with Ritz because she was coached by Ritz before. And Leah's been pretty much injured the last couple of years, but she's like, no, Ritz has been great helping me, you know, get over these injuries. He really cares. And, you know, it's good to see her running well because last trials, you know, she was two-time NCAA champion, one in the mile. I mean, she was an indoor mile champion. You guys remember that. And the steeplechase. But that was when, like, Frerichs was just emerging in the steeple. Like, and Quigley as well. Like, so she won NCAs and then lost to both those girls the next year. So she hasn't really beaten Quigley and Frerichs when they're at their best. And it's it's a tall order, but when she was only one second behind Courtney, you know, I thought it was a good run. But I, I still th- expect the Olympic team to be Coburn, Quigley, Frerichs. Colin Quigley still doesn't have a sponsor I mean, maybe there's a, it's the six-month non-compete thing. It's kind of weird that she said she was leaving Nike and still hasn't come out with a new sponsor, and it's been a few months since that announcement. All right. I don't know why we haven't talked about the big race. Oregon Twilight was what it was. I don't know. It was Nagoose versus Hawker versus Tier versus a bunch of other people. Charles Philbart, Dobado, or somebody, some Olympic semifinalist from Canada. But we basically were looking for Nagoose versus Hawker. And my boy. The guy that I have predicted for months, maybe years, to be on this Olympic team. I, I guess when we had the COVID cancellation, I said he's going to make the team. In his 1,500-meter seasonal debut, he wins it at the line, 335.96, beating Tier 335.97. Cole Hawker proves he's human and finishes third, 336.47. What do we make of this, guys, other than Rojo is a genius? Well, Rojo, again, you predicted Cole Hawker to win this race and he got third. So I don't know if I'm going to call you a genius, but I thought this was a huge race for Yard Nagoose because the question we had about him was he was trained for cross country. He ran a 10K, you know, a good 10K at the NCAA cross champs in March. He had not run a 1500 since June of 2019, which is when he won the NCAA title. And the question was, how quickly is he going to be able to turn around from sort of 10K training to 1500 the answer is pretty quickly because 335 that's terrific i think he's any he, i think he's only going to go up from here so to me this was a huge boost for yard Nagoose, and i'm actually thinking wow he could be you know re- i mean obviously we knew he was a threat to make the team in the 1500 but this was a huge result for him it was and year jonathan says i picked hawker i did last week's turn my back on you but this was not the ultimate betrayal. I view this as like a guy that commits to his high school girlfriend. And I didn't jilt him at the altar. It's just maybe in college, I wanted to date somebody else or maybe at the bachelor party, I got a little drunk and did something I regretted, but I, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the trials. I'm, I'm down on bended knee. Please forgive me. I've been there all along. It's not, it's never been, you've always been the one. I just needed to get something out of my system. I wanted to see the college boy. College girl, whatever. (laughs) And now I'm back. I apologize. Please forgive me. Speaking of the 1500, earlier Robert remarked that not many Americans are running fast in May. I went and looked this up. Three Americans have run in the 333s ever. 
in the month of May. They're pretty damn good. Bernard Lagat, Alan Webb, and Matthew Sintowitz. All right, guys, I'm going to put you on the spot. The next American, you have five seconds once I announce this to give his name. I'll give you $1,000 if you can get it. Go. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Time is up. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't even ask the question. What's the who's question? The next, who's the next American on the list in May? Chris Five, Lukasik. four, three, two, one. Robert, no guess. It is Russell Brown. But also it shows. Russell ran in the Doha Diamond League meet in 2012. So some of it is a, is contingent on getting in rabbited races. So the 333s by Ollie Hoare and Justin Knight were pretty good in Oregon. That's true, but we got to factor in the new shoes. Perspective is key, but the new shoes make perspective hard because to me, when I saw this race, 335.96, the time disappointed me, and I thought, wait a minute, is Nagusi even any better than he was two years ago when he was a 338 guy? Because he's wearing the new shoes now, and he wasn't then. But this was his outdoor opener. So I thought this was good for Nagusi. It's what I wanted to see. Fantastic. You know, Tier... Hey, he's beaten Hawker, but every time they run the mile now. Interesting. We think of Tears more the 5K guy. Is he going to run the 1500 NCAs? That's interesting. Hawker can't win everything, but John was acting like, with the, you know, if he gets beat here last week, is this a sign that he sort of passed his prime? I will note that the only NCAA runner who has, not his prime, but passed his peak a little bit. I will note the only NCAA runner who has the Olympic standard in the 1500, Sam Tanner of New Zealand, who ran that 334 indoors. You know, a couple weeks ago, he only ran 338. At the West, and was only eighth place at the West Coast Relays. We didn't mention that in this podcast. So he does seem to be past his peak. So it's, you know, it, it's, you know, interesting to think about. I'm sure John's going to focus on the fact they don't have the standard. The reality is, and they're not going to have much time to chase the standard, but the reality is if you get like four races in like the 338 range, your world ranking will be good enough. So he can probably do that a couple of times. Maybe the ACC's get another one this weekend. You know, NCAs and USAs. So they should be able to get the ranking up there. Again, this is disgraceful, though. I'm, I'm going to talk about this time and time again. The U.S. should be allowed to send... If we're going to send three, they should not care. They should let us take the top three from the trials. It's the same thing within Kenya. We're going we're gonna to be talking about these international 10Ks. I mean, they, they ran a 25 laps of Tokyo, 10,000 meters last race, last Tuesday in Stockholm, Sweden. What? Nine, ten... 11 women got the standard. I think nine or 10 of them were from Kenya. So you made nine women fly from Kenya in the middle of a pandemic to Sweden, wasting tens of thousands of dollars to run some stupid standard when we know Kenya is going to send three anyways. So the, the idea that these teams and that these countries have to waste all this money, all these resources during a pandemic to chase these standards is insanity. Actually, speaking of that, Robert, I think that brings me to our next topic. Speaking of a fast 10,000 for, for women, I know you saw this result over the weekend. Gudolf Sagai, once again, running in the combo Adidas kit, but Nike spikes, the world indoor record holder for 1,500 meters. She made her 10K debut in Portugal, and she smoked a 29.39, number five all time. And immediately, you know, look, you don't just run a 10K for, for shits and giggles in May of an Olympic year. If... You're running a 10K, there's some thought behind it. And my guess is she's contemplating the Safan Hassan double. 
which would be the 1500 and the 10K. And at the Olympics, the schedule lines up thusly. Days four, six, and eight, that's the 1500. And then day nine is the 10K. So she would have to run the 1500 final and then 24 hours later run the 10K final. That's even harder than what Sifan Hassan did in Doha. And I'm really curious to see if she actually takes this on. Again, they should have made the schedule easier so that the 15-5 double is much more easy or put an extra day so they can run 15-10. The way to promote the sport is to do these doubles. It's just really bad organization. I know they want to have some finals in the middle of the week for the TV partners, but she, amazing, John. She, 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 she's reminding me. She sets the world indoor record indoors, 353 this year, and then now is running 29-30 something. She's, she's looking like Hassan. You know, speaking of Hassan, where is Hassan? I mean, I guess Hassan ran that one 3,000 indoors. It was, what, 829 or something like that? Kind of decent, but I guess I shouldn't, you know, saying Hassan got a new coach, but didn't last year Hassan also run 2930-something? I mean, it's not like Hassan has gotten bad all of a sudden, shut, a, shut an hour world record. I mean, Hassan's been running pretty well without Salazar. And she will be running this weekend, actually, Robert, at the in the 5,000 at the Sound Running Track Meet in Los Angeles. So there you go. That's where Safan Hassan is. And I just want to say, good off Sagai, her range, we really need to appreciate this. This is totally ridiculous because you think, oh yeah, kind of like, you know, she ran 5K, she ran a fast 5K, the Ethiopian champs in April. She beat Latessa and Gide, who's the world record holder. But I got a text from a, a listener of the podcast and he put it, he contextualized it in a way that I thought it just kind of blew my mind. You know, if you look at the equivalent performances on the men's side, so... 157.52, which is Sagai's indoor PB for 800 meters. That's the 475th fastest all-time 800, you know, if you put that on the outdoor women's list. The 475th fastest men's 800 is 143.82. And then she ran the fifth fastest 10,000 ever, 29.39. The fifth fastest men's 10,000 ever is 26.25. And it, it kind of, it's curious to me. I, I wouldn't think there's any human in history ever been capable of running 143 and 26.25 on the men's side. Yet now on the women's side, we have two women. Hassan's run 156 and what, 29.40 something? And Sagai's run 157 and 29.39. It's kind of weird to me that the, the women, the top women have a lot wider range than the top men because I don't think there's anyone who could ever run 143 and 26.25. Do you have any harebrained theories as to why that exists? Obviously, it's a ridiculous accomplishment, the crazy range from Sagai there. Well, the women's depth isn't quite as good as the men's. That's one. And two, I don't think the women run as fast when you get down at, at the lower levels. Like, think about a, a 353 man, a 410 miler. A lot of them are going to be running like 153 for, for, for 800. They're going to be significantly faster than the women are at 800. So it's just different body types and, and muscles, I think. But it, it's an inter interesting, you know, thought experiment. Is Safan Hassan just going to like jog this 5K this weekend? I mean, her racing in otherly largely just U.S. field. I mean, I'm trying to think. Emily Sisson's in this race. Vanessa Fraser. Gwen Jorgensen. Whitney Orton. That'll be a good test for her. I mean, but Emily Enfield, Muriel Hall. But, like, you know, these are what? Like 1440 girls? I guess if... Might be a good test for some of these Bowerman women, right? If they think they're in, like, 1440, 1430 shape to have Hassan in that race actually might be a really good one this weekend. Well, I'm interested to see what she does. I mean, she, I got the time wrong. She ran 833 indoors, but last year she did run, 
you know, 1437 and 2936. I hope that it's at least a 1430 race. That would be good. Um, while we're talking about fast 5000s, I do need to make a correction. Well, a few weeks ago, we gave a world record to Norway's Caroline Grovdal for the 1439 road 5K she ran on May 1st. That course has been found to be 12.5 meters short, so she will not be getting the world record. For that one, while we're talking about road races, Weldon, did you see the Cowtown 5K, 10K, and half marathon had more than 5,000 finishers in Fort Worth, Texas? So good to see people getting back from COVID. But I don't know if Weldon's even seen this devastating news. Talked about the 25 laps of Tokyo race in Stockholm last week. The men's Olympic standard is 27-28, right, John? Is that correct? That's correct. Well, Weldon Kipkuri Lingad of Kenya has run 27 28 Point zero five. I think we should start a petition for this young man to get him in to get to have him, get, you know, gain give him the standard. Weldon goes home devastated. The guy should be just put on the Olympic team. This is crazy. Oh, but John, women's ten thousand. The second place finisher behind Sagai was Kalkadon Gezahengi. The she's from Bahrain. She used to be with Ethiopia. Just turned thirty. We haven't heard from her in a long time. I mean, I guess she was 14th at Worlds in the 5K in 2017, but she's really best known for winning the 2010 indoor 1,500-meter gold medal. Um, it wasn't really a stacked field that year. I mean, she beat Natalia Rodriguez of Spain. Galeta Burka was third. Erin Donahue of the U.S. and Sarah Bowman both made the finals that year. But anyways, she runs 29.50. So pretty interesting to see. You know, she's a four-flat 1,500-meter runner who sort of, it sounds like her best event might be the tanky. Maybe she's been in the wrong event all these years. Yeah, just kind of curious what she's been up to for the last, like, where, where has she been? She doesn't have any, look at Attila Stapaja. She doesn't have any results since 2018. And just where? Women actually have children. A lot of women have children, John. And Do you know this? Do you know she had a kid? I would bet a large sum of money that she's had a child. I do not know that, but that's generally when there's gaps in their performances. And if you have two or three kids, there's going to be two or three gaps there. Well, she also had, well, she, I'm just going to say she also had a gap. She had no results in 2016 and 2015 either. So either she's been having kids or there are just some large gaps in her performances and she runs for Bahrain. So I'm just, you know, it's kind of curious there. Okay. A couple of things. Am I allowed to do the rant and play Rojo's music when I do it? That'll be in a second. You guys can think about that and decide. But Rojo mentioned the Cowtown 5,000. I mean, 5,000 people running across the races. That's actually really small for them. So I'm actually surprised it's not more. Did you guys see this? There was the boxing match. I think the guy's name is Canelo. Is that his name, John? Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez, yeah. 70,000 people at Jerry World, AT&T Stadium, and they closed the roof, which is kind of crazy during COVID. But they had 70,000 fans at a sporting event in Texas. And that's, you know, 15 miles from Fort Worth. So they'll have that, but only 5,000 people go out and run when running is so much safer. Not sure of the logic of that one. And then th- that got me thinking of other road races going on, because I'm sure there's been races with more than 5,000 in the U.S. recently, but I'm, I'm not positive of that. But Peachtree Road Race, did you guys see that press release? They're going to have covid sniffing dog <laughs> i did see that this yeah. is the coolest thing ever and i guess it's like 98 percent, you know active or accurate they're really accurate so like you can prevent they're having a two-day race this year i mean you guys should go out to peachtree i've never done peachtree but it's going to be i mean they're going overboard to make sure it's safe whereas like atlanta braves are 100 capacity 
there's no checking about anything. You just show up and go to the game. Peachtree's taking it cautiously. You have the COVID dogs, think maybe proof of vaccination for certain stuff or the COVID dogs or a test or something. But the COVID sniffing dogs is like the coolest thing. What other things can these dogs sniff? I mean, can we train them to sniff EPO? Can we bust dopers at Olympics and World Championships? Why not? Well, we didn't even talk about the Kentucky Derby champ. I wanted to have Tim Layden on. Busted for doping, but he's going to run in the Preakness this week, so... Oh, no. I've been arguing with John about this all along. John makes excuses when AJ Wilson and Jurian Lawson and have these minuscule amounts of things, and then this poor little horse ate some hay that some guy peed on. Oh, wait, that's not the excuse. That was their initial excuse, but he apparently got treated for something. I'm sort of sympathetic to this horse. The Preakness is only about a mile away from my house, so I may go check on him and see how he's doing. We should have had him as the featured guest. Bob Baffert or the horse? The horse. See how he's doing? The video, for the VIP subscribers, they can see, at least do a video. I don't think the horse can talk very well, but... Robert, you need to go there with your sign, with Clayton, have a sign outside, drug cheats out. Try to get on, like, ESPN or something. So, am I... I'm ready for my rant. Are you guys ready? Can I? Am I allowed to play Rojo's rant music? Yes, you are. I give you permission, but I have to depart. I have to go to a meeting, so I'm going to be departing, but there is one topic you guys need to talk about when I'm gone. Arcadia invite four people from the same high school at Broken Nine... Although John Kellogg will, and I want to both point out that if it wasn't for Super Shoes, you'd only have two, and they still can't touch Hammond High from the 1970s when three guys did it back in the day in the full two-mile. Yeah, the secret meeting Rojo keeps talking about, John. He won't tell us what it is. Very interesting. Well, he was drinking Coke, so, I mean, I hope it's not... I assume it's not Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't want to start a rumor about my boss. But, he, yeah, he never said what the meeting was for. So, I don't know. I assume it's something uh, not that important. Well, important enough to leave the podcast. But anyway, well then, your rant. I'm ready for it. I am so sick and tired of reading this stuff about canceling the Olympics. We need to cancel the Olympics this, cancel the Olympics that. And we're, I'm going to have to hear it now for two months. And I was getting really worried and like trying to figure out if they're going to be canceled. And then I'm like, wait. Every year before the Olympics, it's like a parlor game. It's like, oh, look how shitty Rio is and how unprepared they are. We shouldn't have the Olympics there. And in London, oh, a terrorist bomb is going to go off. We just have to hear negative stories before every Olympics. And this year, canceling is obviously the story because... There is some decent amount of the Japanese public that wants it postponed or canceled, but I don't think they're going to be canceled. I really don't want them canceled. And also, this triggers me. I feel uncomfortable. We protect people's pronouns and all this other stuff these days. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Respect me, please. Respect me. I don't like hearing the Olympics being canceled. It's a threat to my business. Now I'm sure people say, oh, it's a threat to my health, blah, blah, blah. I just don't want to hear it because I don't think, John, there's right, there's too much money out there. The New York Times has a piece how the money doesn't go to the athletes. The money goes to the Olympic committees. Some of it gets back to the athletes. It's way better than not having an Olympics. We've shown we can have outdoor events safely. Let's have some perspective. Let's have an Olympics. I want that to be an Olympics. I will say, Weldon, that around, let's say, February of 2020, I was starting to hear all this COVID stuff. And I was like, well, there's always something that the Olympics is going to be canceled. You know, there was Zika in 2016. That never happened. There was... You know, the what was it? The pollution in Beijing. There was the wondering of the terrorist threat. I'm like, this is just the same thing in 2020, COVID. And then, oh, actually, yeah, COVID's really, really serious. And the Olympics were postponed last year. So I don't think you can say like these things never pan out. But I will say, I think there should be an Olympics. And 
This will make you happy. IOC spokesman Mark's, Mark Adams said today, we are moving full ahead. We are fully concentrated now in this last implementation phase of delivering an excellent games, which will bring the world together. So they, the IOC certainly sounds like they want to have an Olympics. Seems like the Japanese public still not thrilled with the idea, but I think there's too much money at stake. The IOC is always, you know, they're fond of money there. So I expect there will be an Olympics. John, do you ever go, I mean, this is how, do you study like the Japanese case curves or anything like that ever? Oh, no. I I feel like that's just not good for my mental health. Oh, I've spent, like, I compare states, I compare countries to countries, Japan year over year. But the, the, I think the curve's going to start coming back down. We just need it kind of going down because once it goes down, it goes down quick. I want someone to email me. I, I think there's a huge seasonal and regional component to COVID. So, but I think Japan's going to start hopefully trending down before the Olympics so we can just, I don't know. But Olympic trials... That's what I've been studying well then. I've been looking, I haven't been looking at the Japanese data. I've been looking at the Oregon data, case by, you know, county by county, all these trends. Now, this came out yesterday, Tuesday. The governor of Oregon, Kate Brown, said that she will eliminate most statewide restrictions, which includes capacity limits on sporting venues and outdoor gathering limits, when the state achieves 70% partial vaccination of residents 16 and older. Right now, that number is at 57%. They had an official from the Oregon, you know, the health department or whatever of the state said that they expect them to exceed that number mid to late June, which has me biting my fingernails because that's exactly when the Olympic trials are. They begin on June 18th. And they do say that if you have over 65% in your county, which is Lane County, which is where the trials are, they'll allow you to eliminate some of the restrictions early, but it's not clear exactly which one. But the big thing is, if Oregon, if 16-year-olds and over in Oregon can get to 70% vaccination, as soon as that happens, she's going to lift the restrictions. So kind of like if you're listening to this to Oregon, you need to start going around and getting everyone you know to take the vaccine. And that means we might have you know spectators in the Olympic trials. I don't think it's that's going to happen quickly enough. Like Tractown USA has already said they don't plan on having full spectators at the trials but i'm really hoping as many oregonians get vaccinated as quickly as possible because if you look the division three championships i also saw this tweet they're in greensboro north carolina may 27th 29th they're allowing eight thousand fans 50 percent of capacity and so it's kind of crazy that seems certainly more than we're going to get at the trials yeah john's slowly joining team reality he's texting me hey should they move the trials to north carolina but my, my best hope is I'm thinking maybe 50% capacity. I'm just hoping they allow some fans. But this thing, if it's like mid to late June, that doesn't really help us. I mean, I guess last second they could say we're going to allow 50%. They could just like, I mean, a week before, right, they could say we're going to have fans and most of them are local. That actually might be better for them. I don't know. But, I mean, one thing we know about COVID is like outdoors, minuscule risk. And especially with vaccines, I don't know. Just require, just do something. I want fans at the trials, and just as a spectator and a fan, and I think it could be done safely. And John, I, I, I probably get criticized. Don't, don't tell Robert, but I'm going to Texas Rangers game next week in Texas. Well, well, are you fully vaccinated? Uh, yeah, I got shot number two. Oh, last week, right after the podcast, actually. Yeah, so I really don't have a problem with you going to a mass gathering at this point if you've got both your shots i'm getting my second one tomorrow i'm very excited about it hopefully have a 
lazy Friday that I won't get to hit too hard. But yeah, I don't have an issue if people, if you're fully vaccinated, I don't really have an issue with you going to a big sporting event. Well, I'm going to go see the Yankees play the Rangers. Some Yankees coach just got COVID after double vaccinated. My doctor said they've seen 12 cases just at his practice. People were double vaccinated and got COVID. But hey, it's all you can do, right? We can't do more than that. And Keep right. Living their the, lives, the vaccine. But- what they only—they never said this is a hundred percent effective. But that's look. At some point, you're, we're not going to live in a COVID bubble for the rest of our lives. It just doesn't make sense. Well, we got to get to Alicia Monson, but first, John, per request of Robert. Yes. I mean, these results are ridiculous. This is the famed Arcadia thirty-two hundred meters, which every year gets incredible fields. Everyone goes for a really fast time. I'm not totally sure. It seems like everyone was from the, in the field was from California this year, which makes it even more impressive. But the race was won by Colin Salmon, Jr. from Newbury Park, 8.43. And then second place, Lex Young, that is Nico Young's younger brother. He's a sophomore, and he ran 8.43. That's a sophomore class record for the 3,200 meters. That's crazy. And then, oh, yeah, Leo Young, who's Lex Young's twin brother, he runs 8.55. He's also a sophomore. And then Daniel Appleford, also from Newbury Park, runs 8.56. So this is kind of crazy. Newbury Park, if you guys remember, they won NXN in 2019 with Nico Young as their star runner. Now it looks like their team in 2021 is even better. And all these guys are going to be coming back this fall. I mean, I can't wait to see what they do at NXN in December. But this is just absurd to me. Like, okay, Robert wants to say, oh, the super shoes, you know, Hammond High School. What Hammond High School did in the 70s was great with Kerry Pinkowski three guys on the same time team sub nine for a full two miles, but four guys, all of them underclassmen or, you know, juniors or sophomores going sub nine in the same race. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Sean Brosnan, the coach there, and obviously the athletes deserve just a lot. I mean, that, that, that's cr- four guys from the same high school breaking nine in the same race. It's, it's insane. It's crazy sick, especially they're all underclassmen. What happened to the seniors at Newberry Park? Not doing very well. That's a joke, but it's crazy. And I know we've joked about it that Nico Young, who was third at NCAA cross country this year, John? Fourth. 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 As a true freshman, super phenom. He's now run what for 5K? 1324. I was about to say third. Yeah, it's like, no, it's like it's not that fast, but it is. We've joked that he's not the best runner in his family. Is that even possible? But also, John, you know, I'm an identical twin, and there's a disproportionate amount of twins who make Olympic sports and endurance sports, make the Olympics and endurance sports, because twins are naturally skinny because they're just, their bone structure, they're crammed in there with another baby. Wait, what about those two fat guys who rode around on the motorcycles? I feel like I've seen that image a ton of times. What is, these are two twin fat guys? I'm not... Oh, you don't remember this? I, you just Google like fat twins motorcycle. It's like a, the Simpsons made fun of the, them a couple times. I don't know. Um, well, is, that, is this actually scientifically proven or is this just sort of a, a theory of yours? Well, then I don't know. I, I heard it once on the Internet. I think it's true. I swear it you know, didn't help me out. But hey, I mean, Mo Farah is a twin. Right. See, I mean, we have an advantage. We have an advantage. The, you know, the. Hauser twins. There's been a lot of the Torres twins. It's a coincidence? There aren't that many twins. There's a lot of twin endurance athletes. Yeah. Well, th- I, I actually, I am now contemplating for the first time. Now, Nico, look, Nico was no slouch in high school either. Like, he ran 840 
as a junior at Arcadia in 2019. He didn't get to run Arcadia as a senior in 2020 because of COVID, but he did run 756, which was the high school national record indoors for 3,000. So, but I mean, 843 by Lex Young, at the very least, this guy's another monster talent. Like, I think Nico's had one of the best careers by an American teenager to this point ever in the distances. So saying like, oh, he's more talented than Nico, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Maybe he just progressed a little quicker. But he's certainly, he's got a a huge talent as well if you're running 843 as a sophomore. So I'm obviously going to be keeping an eye on him as well. I mean, this is the sophomore record. What's the all-time high school record? Uh, it's 829 for a full two mile by Likos Versbikas. I don't know what, I mean, convert that to 3200. That's about what? 825. It's pretty crazy. Maybe the, maybe the twins are on the Jakob Ingebrigtsen track, you know, Nico was on the slow track and these guys are speeding things up a bit, but I mean, they've got, I'm sure they train more than Nico at at that age, right? They see the brother, the program's getting established. They probably are training a bit more, but amazing performances all around. Yeah. All right, well, one last thing I want to get to before Alicia Monson. I know we're going a little long here, but, you know, I think it's been, a, I think people have enjoyed the podcast at this point. I've certainly enjoyed talking about it. So hopefully people are still listening. I have a question for you because this weekend is the sound running track meet. And they are trying, this is something we've talked about for a while the pay per view model. It's something very few people have actually tried in our sport. And sound running is trying it this weekend. They're offering $5.99. You get the entire... There's going to be a portion of the meet is on television on ESPN on Saturday afternoon. But the rest of it, so you got the 10Ks on Friday night and then 5Ks and all the other heats, the 1500 and 800 on Saturday night. That is requiring a $5.99 one-time fee and they're putting 90% of that revenue is going to the athletes, I think mostly in the form of prize money. What do you do? You think this model is going to work? And would you pay five ninety nine for a meet like this? Like, what do you think about this, John? Yeah, I'm all for them trying new things, especially if the money's going to go to the athletes. Am I going to pay for it? Uh, yeah, it's my job, so I'm one of the, the people who definitely do it. But th- this needs to be frictionless. Like on YouTube, click a button, we charge your Google account or something like that. The ability to buy stuff quickly in the internet needs to happen, or like Apple Pay, make sure it's integrated with Apple Pay. You want as less friction as possible but there's a fascinating article up in temple tempo journal we'll link to it and it's by jeff merrill he's with the portland track group one of the entities behind this meet and he talks about how this pay-per-view model came about and i want an apology for mark floriani i want an apology for mark floriani at one point on the on let's run mark floriani is one of the founders of uh, flow track i made some comment that Flow track mainly was about charging parents to watch their kids race. And he like went on a rant in YouTube. It was awesome. Like, oh my God, it was like crazy. And unfortunately they removed it from their servers. If anybody has a copy of that, I'll pay, I'll pay you $5.99 for that. But in this article, Jeff Merrill says, talking about how this came about, I excitedly called Pete Julian, coach of the Nike racing team we've been working with to film the meets. And then, told them essentially that like we're going to we're going to produce the meat ourselves and give it to this production company which i assume is flowtrack but he doesn't say it's either flowtrack or runner space i think they worked with flowtrack in the past and after the article cont- continues after a brief moment of silence he met my comment with we don't really like that model 
This took me by surprise. I fully expected him to be as excited about it as I was. Why not, I asked him. And Pete responded, We have some of the best athletes in the world running these meets, and the meets are behind a paywall facilitated by the streaming company. The best athletes in the world are the reason that people are tuning in, and they don't see any of that money. And on top of that, their moms have to pay to watch them race. So I thought that was pretty funny and insightful. And we're seeing with COVID, like anyone can produce these meets. We even helped stream two meets, American Record Attempts, for free. And it's a question of where the money goes. And I think when people see the money goes to the athletes, they'll be more likely to pay. And we have a subscriber's part of Let's Run, and it's a monthly deal. But a lot of people to watch a one-off meet don't want to like pay, have to cancel subscription. So I think this could possibly work. The easier it is to pay, it needs to be super easy. So ideally, it was through YouTube or something like that, which probably isn't. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they're streaming it, but yeah, I, th- I think five ninety nine is a pretty fair price. And if you're a diehard track fan, especially like, I think this really appeals to like college kids or something. I guess maybe you know the gatherings and you know age of COVID, blah blah blah. But like for a meet like this, if you're with a bunch of buddies and it's a Friday and Saturday night meet and you got a track house or whatever, you just say, hey, someone throw down five bucks, we'll watch this meet together, and you get a bunch of people to watch it. I mean, $5 spread across like five or six people, that's like $1 to watch some of the best athletes in the country running. Like, if you're a track fan and have track fan friends, I feel like it's a no-brainer to just, you know, have some friends over and watch this stuff. Might help to be on the West Coast, though, because all these races are starting pretty late. Maybe I won't be buying it if I have to be up with a one-year-old at home. But yeah, like the kid I used to live next door to me in Fort Worth, Texas, made the state finals in baseball. I think I can watch the game for like seven ninety nine or something like that. So this model exists, and good to see people trying new things and not being reliant on you know th- traditional streaming platforms. Because I mean, Fulltrack they provide a lot of meets. You know, they were out there when nobody was doing it, but anyone can stream a meet these days. You can stream it for free on YouTube. It's actually not that hard. And Fulltrack gets tens of millions of dollars in venture funding, and not a lot of that's going back to the sport. So if these guys want to try it this way and think it's better for them, I'm all for it. Yeah, but I mean, look, I will say this in defense of the streaming companies like Flowtrack and Runnerspace. I mean, it doesn't cost nothing to broadcast this meet. So if you want a quality production, it does cost some money. So I do understand, you know, why they have these subscription fees in place to charge it you know, they, they need to subsidize streaming these meets and traveling to them, that sort of thing. But I do like this. I like that they're trying something new and I, I hope it works out and hopefully they got a bunch of viewers, pumps up the tri- prize money, generates interest in the sport. Yeah. I mean, no, there's definitely a lot of production costs in p- putting on a meet, but then it's in terms of where it goes and like, I don't know what full track's up to. They don't, it seems like they've kind of pulled away from pro meets for sure and are more like young kids in high school and college but usatf if all the you know usatf meets are on there it makes maybe more sense to have a membership and then these other meets that are one-off it's like okay we don't need a separate subscription for these you can buy them one off to watch or maybe sound Running does a subscription for all their series of meets or something like that i don't know what the future is but the more the merrier all right well i think that's about it for this week's episode and we've got our interview with alicia monson you want to tease that right now well then I thought I already teased it. Alicia Monson, the woman who Dathan Ressenheim said maybe could be the next Shalane or Dina. She's all in for the Olympic trials. John, what event do you think she should run? 10K, 5K, or both? The women's 10K is second, so the 5K is first. I think of her 
she ran, had a great debut at 10K running 31.10. So if you're her, John, do you do both? Definitely t- both. Because I think of her as more of a 5K runner. So you run the 5K, and then if you don't make it, you come back in the 10. That's what I kind of think. Simple math says, let's say you're like 60% and 70%. But I don't know. It sounds like it'll be interesting. Listen to the interview. She hasn't made up her mind yet. Ritz said she ran 1507 off of like three weeks of training. Like, yeah, you run the 5K for sure. Okay. And that was the other thing. She's like, if I run really fast fast at 1500 this weekend, I may definitely do both. So. do Wait, what do you mean? Do, do both the 5K and 10K, she means. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't do the 1500 five double. USATF has made that impossible. It's five or 10 for her, but I think she's... She's, she's, I think, I'm more of a strength runner, and she, she was very surprised and pleased with that 10K debut. So, Alicia Monson, here she is. We've got a special guest. We're joined by the On Athletic Club's Alicia Monson. Alicia is the 2019 NCAA Indoor Champ at 5K, a six-time All-American, five-time Big Ten champion, NCAA runner-up at cross-country, and as a 20-year-old at Wisconsin, in the 3K at the Milrose Games, she defeated the pro field, leaving Emma Coburn, the world champion in the steeplechase in her wake, and an unheralded pro at the time named Ellie Perrier. Since joining the OAC, Alicia has ordered her 5K PR from 1531 to 1506. She made her professional debut in the 10,000 last December, where she ran 3110 which was, at the time, the ninth fastest by an American. And her coach, Dathan Ritzenhain, in an OAC Instagram video said, Alicia is someone who has the potential to be the next great American female distance runner. I quizzed him about that on last week's podcast. It's a big open. (laughs) We're starting big here, Alicia. He said, yes, she just has the demeanor and physically has the skill set. She could be someone like Shalane and Dina. Big words, Alicia. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I won't go straight into the Dathan comment, but I, I was asking some of the other people at Let's Run what they wanted what wanted me to ask you. And they're like, you got to ask her about Dathan, that <laughs> question, and putting all the pressure on her. But first, you're with a new group. You're in Boulder. You're a professional athlete. You were on the Let's Run podcast last April. And all you knew then was that you were going to be a pro runner. You didn't know. You're like, hey, I may be driving Uber in a year because we didn't know what was going to happen with the pandemic. But how are things treating you? It's been good. Things worked out well, obviously. It's been good moving to Boulder and just, you know, especially training at altitude for this first year as a pro when I had never trained at altitude before has been just a big step up in my running. And just getting the On Athletics Club started has been a blast like everyone is just super awesome on the team so yeah it's been good it seems like a good group i mean of course the coach is going to say that but right. talking to Nathan, <laughs> it, you guys are running very well you, you can't fake that and it seems like you guys have good camaraderie yeah everyone gets gets along just really well like even when we first came to colorado everyone just meshed and We've kind of got a good mix of personalities on the team because everyone's very unique and people are goofy in their own ways. So I feel like getting along well just helps in helping us run well. Maybe talk a little bit about how you got in the group and how that process went about because the last we had heard from you, you had an agent, but that was it and sort of 
didn't know what I was doing at that point. Yeah. So last spring was when, so when I had talked with Let's Run last, uh, I had gotten an agent, but wasn't sure what I was doing um, with any companies. And we ended up, you know, going back and forth with different people. And then once I, I had heard about on and Ollie, my Wisconsin teammate signed with on, and then I got on the phone with Dathan and I also got on the phone with Leah. Um, and so I was just talking back and forth with people. And honestly, once I talked to Leah, she had been coached under Dathan for two years and she just had like every good thing to say about him. And obviously I didn't want to start running under a coach that I wasn't sure if he would be a good coach or not. And he just, you know, she said that basically he helped her get her running career back and she's running healthy. Obviously she's just ran an Olympic standard for the steeple um, just this past weekend. So yeah, just hearing all the good things that she had to say about him. I was more confident in being like, all right, this group is going to be legit. We've got some good people signed and it's going to go someplace. So I signed with them and moved out to Colorado in July. Yeah, July. And then we've kind of gotten the ball rolling. Yeah, did you know Leah before you spoke to her? Or she, or she was just with her reference? Not, or Not super. She, I mean, she had graduated, right? But she was obviously a Big Ten star. And so she had graduated right before I came into college. So I knew of her really. I had kind of looked up to her for a while, but I didn't actually know her personally. But we had kind of some small connections with Michigan teammates and whatnot. But yeah, so it was kind of cool to actually talk to her. And yeah, you guys got the little Wisconsin crew in uh, Boulder because I, I didn't realize I talked to Ritz, but Morgan McDonald is there as well. I guess he lives with Ollie as well. So yeah, they just moved. Yeah, well, Morgan and Ollie lived together all year, and now they just moved into a house with Morgan, Ollie, Carlos, and Jordy. So they've got the whole crew there. <laughs> and how was it adapting to altitude for the first time? It was definitely difficult at first. Well, actually, I kind of shocked myself into it because when I went out to Colorado, I spent the first week camping just with some friends. And so we were like staying up at 10,000 feet for a whole week. And so I was trying to run like an 80 mile week just like at 10,000 feet. And I was basically just running eight minute pace because I couldn't breathe. I kind of shocked myself into it, but mostly a lot of it was adjusting to workouts because base running was fine. But the workouts, I remember my first workout, we were doing a tempo at like 535 pace, which would normally be like, you know, pretty doable at sea level at that point. And I just remember feeling like I was taking in so much air, but I just wasn't using any of it. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, I've adjusted a lot more and I kind of actually forget that I'm at altitude. And so, plus a lot of my workouts, you know, progressing from college to professionally, it's not like I'm – because I'm running at altitude, it's not like I'm running – a lot of really faster paces. It's just like I'm running those faster paces for longer and it's at altitude. So it's kind of just been like a natural progression for me, honestly. It seems like all your races have gone really well. Is that a fair assessment or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
<laughs> I haven't really gotten to race a whole lot yet just because we've been focusing so much on the trials, but I consider it a success that I've, you know, I've really only, well, I guess I raced twice last summer and then just the 10K and the 5K to get the standards. And I've PR'd every time, but we've been, the races that I've done, we know that I can do more, which so, you know, to see it as a success, but also know that I have more in me is a good thing. So, Right. I mean, 31.10, it's very good. It's, you know, at the time it was ninth fastest all-time American, but I think now it's like the 12th fastest. I mean, the American women are running so well right now. Everyone's running super fast. It's cool. You know, the 15.07, I can't believe that's like 16th fastest in the U.S. for the trials sort of window. <laughs> yeah, but it's not far off from being, you know, if you run 1455, which isn't, you know, th that far ahead, you're probably number three or four. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of people on the low 15 minute mark, which I would have liked to break 15. But at, at that point, I had mostly just come off of cross training a lot and kind of getting back into full training. And I usually feel my best when I'm really doing a lot of training. So, I mean, I was happy to just go out there and get the standard but definitely want to run faster again yeah so Dathan was saying you ran that race off of three weeks of training what was the injury you were dealing with have you been healthy since then yeah so I had a basically I had <laughs> I had strained my calf during the 10k in December and I kept running on it and of course was favoring my other foot. And so I had the start of a stress reaction in my second metatarsal, which it was really minor. So I didn't have to take much time off of it, but I was just doing a ton of cross training while we were at our training camp in Scottsdale. And so then basically I went from, yeah, I had been running on the ground for three weeks in Scottsdale right before the race. So yeah, I remember like, <laughs> a week before the 5k I just like I had this workout where I just really felt like I was like I it was running was so hard that I was like all right I can't do the race <laughs> but then I just you know I had another good workout so then we just decided I might as well go for it hit the standard and so then we don't have to worry about it anymore <laughs> yeah because your race in the fall didn't count right it was the window was closed then yeah yeah, the window was closed when I raced it in the summer. Yeah. So it was good to get the standard <laughs> and to actually just race again, honestly. Yep. So that was what, March. So now we're two months away. You haven't raced since then. Was that the plan all along or have you had any injuries since then? Yeah, that's that's just been the plan. I've been training healthy. I've gotten my two COVID shots, which have been nice to get out of the way and yeah, we kind of just like, because it's, I mean, it's a little bit different for 1500 meter runners because they kind of, you know, a lot of my teammates are 1500 meter runners, like the guys. And so they just kind of race a lot because they're getting the standards and their rankings and stuff. But with us already having the standard in the five and 10 K, we were just like, all right, let's just basically get ready to throw all our eggs into the Olympic trials basket and make sure because Dathan basically gives us hard enough workouts that honestly, I remember getting to the 10K race and being like, this isn't even as hard as this one workout that we did. <laughs> so um, yeah, basically we're just getting ready to focus on what we need to do. 
And so with the group, the other women are all steeplechasers. So on the like 5K slash 10K workouts, are you ahead of them? Are you working out together? Yeah, it's depended. When a lot of the fall training, it's just like basically I do more mileage than them. And for like really strength oriented workouts, like mile repeats or tempos or something more like mile repeats or 800s or something like that he usually plans it really well actually dathan does so that let's say i'm running a mile they will run a 1200 with me and then they'll just get more rest like an extra lap of rest so he actually did a really good job of uh, planning that out so that I don't have to just run by myself all the time. But once outdoor season came and they started steepling and doing hurdle workouts a lot more, I was a little bit more on my own, and which is fine most of the time. But there's, on some of the harder workouts, Dathan will actually jump in with me. So it's kind of fun to actually have a coach who can pace you through things because he's really good at pacing, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> So it's been, it's been good so far. Like he just plans it out well and then jumps in when he has to. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad he's putting that running talent to work still. Cause I mean, a, a year ago he's still running the Olympic marathon trials, which is crazy, but I know that that is crazy. Yeah. You know, he'd run with you guys sometimes. And I, I didn't think to ask him if he'd do workouts with you, but you know, now of course everyone's going to let's run. going to be wondering if Dayton's going to make some sort of comeback, but yeah, he's jumping in the 10K at the trials. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. Yeah, and then long runs, I get to, like, because Carlos and Jordi are 1,500 oriented, I get to long run with them. So I'm never never alone. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of a really good group setup. Yeah. Let's turn to the trials. You're all in on that. You were saying you're going to race, before we got on the air here, a 1,500 this weekend. And then maybe one more race. Yeah, it's kind of a short racing season, but honestly, it's kind of all we need at this point just to put my put my toes on the line and see what happens and then just kind of focus on really trying to make that Olympic team. So, yeah, it'll be it honestly is kind of weird how quickly it's going to come up because we've got the 1500 this weekend and then kind of a two week break and then maybe another race and then two week or two or three week break and then the trials so it'll go pretty quick here i'm excited about it yeah i can't believe they're here well i i know you'll be there i hope they haven't said what they're doing for fans or media i hope i'm there to watch it but i'm getting nervous thinking about the trials <laughs> as an athlete yourself it's your first trials are you excited nervous both do you feel pressure like kind of give me your thoughts yeah a little bit of everything. Like I definitely, sometimes I'll be just taking a nap or something and I think about it and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I've never done this before, but yeah, I'm excited for it. Like it's basically what everyone trains for this time of year. So it'll be cool to actually be here, but it's obviously pressure. Like it's what everyone's been training for. So you kind of feel the need to really, ramp up your training or something like that but really we're just kind of trying to keep things focused keep things cool and like 
put in the training that we need to, but also not step over the line and end up getting to the trials unhealthy or something like that. So yeah, I'm excited. We just got to keep on, keep on keeping on for five more weeks. <laughs> yeah. Don't get injured. I think a lot of be unfortunate. You're, you're a much better athlete than me, but I think a lot of athletes, like they double down before the trials. It's like, that doesn't make sense. That's not how running works, but right. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like because Dathan had a bunch of injury problems in his career, and it sounds like you guys have a really good strength and sort of conditioning coach who sort of kind of tailors individual workouts for everyone. Is is that the case? Yeah. We, so we have he Dathan actually met him in Michigan. So he he basically puts he puts together all of our strength work and he basically has seen us all run and seen us all lift and stuff. So he kind of knows what kind of things that we each individually need to work on. So for me, that basically, you know, maybe Joe is not so flexible, so we need to work on his mobility, whereas I'm a little too flexible. And so we need to work a lot more on my strength so that I'm not, you know, losing form in the last 200 meters of a race. So it's kind of been a process of uh, just focusing on the things that we needed to, because Dathan obviously he went through just about everything you could name during his professional year injury wise. So uh, it definitely helps that he kind of has been through it and knows how to prevent things and get around things. Yeah. When you were doing the cross training, do you have, do you like the aqua jogging? Yeah. Cross training under Dathan is honestly so hard. We actually do a variety of things we do workouts on the bike and then basically your volume work is either aqua jogging or ellipticaling so and i still just to just to keep us healthy instead of a double run after workouts i do a double elliptical which is just what i've been doing all year so that's good so i'm kind of i like the elliptical and the aqua jog and i kind of hate the bike but i do it because i have to so <laughs> Do you go do like elliptical on the roads or you do like the uh, one in a? No, just a stationary one. I I don't trust myself to do elliptical on the roads. <laughs> I'd probably end up like wiping out on the middle of a bike path. <laughs> it might be dangerous in Boulder in the winter as well. Yeah, true. <laughs> You're talking about your strength kind of conditioning, but as a runner, would you say your strength well, I would say your strength is your strong point, like more so than your speed, but you're pretty fast. I mean, 845 for 3K is a 20-year-old is pretty good. But do you think of yourself as more of a strength runner than a speed runner? Or, and have you upped your mileage? Or how, how, have you, how has your training, I guess, changed a little bit as a pro? I definitely think of myself more as a strength runner. And I think my my teammates think of me more of a strength runner as well because that's kind of like I'll end up, you know, leading the – mile repeats or K repeats or crushing the tempos or something like that. But we've also worked a lot more on my speed in the past year. So I'm excited to see what I can run in a 1500 because I've never, I don't think I've ever raced a 1500 correctly. So we'll see if I do this weekend. But so, you know, it's kind of been a process of, you know, last summer I was definitely very much insecure about my ability to run a fast 200 with Leah and Emily because they're very much speedsters so but now that we've kind of been training more and I've 
been getting stronger. It's definitely been like, I've been more confident in my ability to close during a race and to run a fast 200. But at the end of the day, I consider myself more of a 5k, 10k runner than a 1500. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any expectations on this race? I mean, I think in the fall, you lowered your PR from like 424 to 412, but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I could care less what you run for 1500 this week, but do you feel like, Oh, I need to run under this time. Or is it just all kind of. Mostly I just want to race. Like I know that if I really race that I'm going to run a fast time anyways, but I, I for sure think I can PR again and I, it would be cool to hit the Olympic trial standard, even though that's kind of insignificant for me because I wouldn't run it, but yeah i mean honestly it would just be fun to race because i haven't really gotten that opportunity a whole lot this year so just getting out there and doing that would be cool what's the standard in the 15 i want to say it's like 406 or something like that dathan was like you can totally run that fast and i was like all right well i've never done it before so i'll see what i can do (laughs) and if you run 406 i think you'll turn heads Dathan was he's very excited about he's like look she ran fifteen oh seven off of three weeks and kind of back to the the trials discussion. Well, one you got to decide if you're going to double or do both. The five let's see if I'm, wait I had this backwards earlier. The five thousand is first for the women, and it, you know it's doable. You you can do the ten. The five k is the first Friday, and then I think Tuesday is the final, and then the ten k is on. Saturday, but if you like looking at both those races, well, I guess one, like, are you going to double? Have you made up your mind? You know, how are you thinking about that? Good question. Uh, I don't know. At this point, we, Jason and I have been talking about it and it seems like 10 K is more my strong suit just because I ran 31 10 and we knew I had more in the tank. But also if I were to go out and run some fast 1500s and we think maybe I've got a good 5k in me, then also maybe we could do that. So it's kind of just a ton, like part of it is that we're just waiting to see how I feel these next couple of weeks. So yeah, it's definitely, I think a lot of people are going to have this problem where they're like, all right, do I double or do I count on just the 10k? I think a lot of us are kind of in a predicament there. <laughs> Yeah, the schedule set up so that pretty much every 5K runner can, 10K runner can do both. So, yeah. As a fan and journalist, it's great. As a runner, it's nerve wracking, I'm sure. It's kind of hard to figure out where you put your eggs in the basket. So, and sort of looking <laughs> at the field, see if you agree with this. I think you got a lot of room for improvement and running 1507 off of three weeks. But, like in the 5K, I would say, Essentially, a couple of the Bowerman women are ahead of everybody else, but then maybe the third spot's kind of more wide open, a lot more people in the mix there. This is sort of off of PRs and that sort of thing. Um, well, who knows what actually, what show, which race Shelby, Shelby probably won't run the 5K. 10K, even kind of same way. There's a couple people who've run faster, a little bit faster at 10K, you know, than you, but like then the rest of the field is n- not that far ahead of you. Is that sort of a good analysis of the field? Am I missing something? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's about right. Like definitely. I feel like you've always got some front runners 
and that's definitely the case this year. But also the two and three spots are kind of wide open. So, I mean, not wide open, very, very competitive, but like achievable. We'll see what my speed's at and then kind of make a decision from there because it could go both ways. And I had never thought about if you run too fast this weekend, then you'll double. I guess it'd be a good problem to have. (laughs) Yeah, true. Sabotage just in case I don't want to double and just run a slower 1500. (laughs) And yeah, last year when like Carissa and Shelby ran 1420s, American women hadn't done that before. Was that encouraging, depressing, exciting? What do you think of that? I thought it was really cool. Like, that shows that we can do that. And I would, I mean, I feel like this past year has allowed us to, had allowed, has allowed Americans in general to run really fast races because COVID kind of took away the racing aspect and allowed you to make it set up races to just go really fast, which is cool because people have been running faster than ever. So, I don't know. I thought it was cool. I would like to be that kind of caliber athlete someday, but obviously it's been years in the making for them. So yeah, I think it's cool. I would like to see people up on the world stage doing that from the Americans that we've got going on right now. It was super impressive. And I, I mean, just in general, the 5k has gotten so fast for women, but I mean, didn't I'm like, wait, Shelby ran 14, almost 20, so she's not that far off. So I think it's encouraging. And you're the third fastest American ever, 3K in college, so. Yeah, it's kind of weird that I actually ran that that young. So it's, I don't know, once we once I get more of a strength base and years of training under me, I'm excited to where we can go. Yeah, Jay- Dathan was on the podcast last week. He was like your number one fan. He's like, look, she was 20. She ran 8.45. But then this this takes back for him as a coach because he's like, look, I can take no credit. Like, she was already super talented. <laughs> <laughs> your last two years of college, you had two different coaches. You've had Dathan. Do you think that changing coaches in college made it easier to adapt a new coach as a pro? Or is just Dathan easy to work with in general? Yeah, yes to both of those. I think it definitely even senior year I was obviously bummed to have, you know, lost my first coach and gotten a new one, but I've loved my next coach and, you know, adapting to training under different coaches I think has allowed me to kind of learn what I do best with training-wise and Dathan obviously kind of, you know, is a very likable person, so he did a great job of looking at what I've done in my collegiate career training wise and seeing how we can progress from there. So I, I think it definitely helps to have experience in switching over coaches um, just because no coach is the same, but you can be successful with different coaches. So yeah, I don't know. Dathan definitely just helped with the transition anyways. Like he is so hands-on. It is. Do you guys sit down and sort of discuss what you like in training and that sort of thing, or is more he just observes and tries different things and adapts? We discussed it, like, especially at first when he was taking over training, and I think it was a little bit different for each of us. Some people, I think for me last summer when Dathan was going to coach me, 
I was still being, he, we went through a transition period where I was still being coached by my college coach. And luckily he, I actually, Dathan uses the same final surge training log that I used all through college. So he could actually go back and look through all of my training as long as I actually uploaded it, which I sometimes went through periods of time where I didn't, but he could go back and look at it. And we went through weeks where he just kind of watched what I was doing and then he took over. So yeah, but I think it was a little different for different people. Some people, they just went straight to Dathan. And so he kind of just had to figure out, you know, the way each athlete is. I forgot to ask with the, with the Bowerman women, did you consider joining that group? Cause they have such a collection of American talent sort of at 5k, which is your main distance or was your main distance. Yeah. Yeah. Was, we'll see what it end up being by the end of the summer. But, uh, yeah, I did. I, which, I mean, every, every group that I talked to was awesome, but at the end of the day on seemed like they had a great thing going and it just worked out that way with COVID that, it was this perfectly positioned time to sign a bunch of athletes out of college. It's kind of crazy. I mean, for on the group, I guess you would have had a chance to make the team last year, but the delay of the Olympics for a year is given, you know, them a yeah. chance to get Olympians in year number one. Otherwise yeah. they'd have been waiting to 2024. Right. I think actually, I think the year delay actually helped me a lot just because I got an extra year of professional training and, wouldn't have had to double back from NCAAs or anything like that. If it's true, especially if you like doubled the NCAAs and then it was, it was looking to be a tough spring. Well, I think this year there's, there's only a week between NCAAs and the trials. I don't know if it was last year as well, but I think, it, I think it was the same way last year too. I remember just looking at it and kind of cringing, but I guess if you're just hitting it out of the park and crushing everyone at NCAs, which which you might have done, maybe running into the trials is no problem and you're just hot and you keep it going. But right. it, it seems like it'd be very hard for, for mortal people. <laughs> yeah. So for, for the trials, I'm trying to think. You're not a dark horse. Would you say you're an underdog? But it's hard to say someone who's like the third fastest NCA, you know, runner three K is a real underdog. But how, how do you view yourself, or how? I think people love the underdogs. So I kind of want to call you an underdog, but <laughs> yeah, I would say I am, especially because I'm pretty inexperienced, and I don't really have. I mean, I don't have that good of PRs compared to, you know, the resumes of a lot of other professional American runners right now. So. I would say I am, and it definitely is going to be really hard for a lot of people to make the team, but, you know, I think I've also got a good shot at it as long as I see myself getting there and toe the line healthy and ready to go. So, yeah, (laughs) it's definitely been kind of a long time coming, and we'll see if we can pull it off, but I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, good luck. I mean... I competed in well one track trials. Don't do what I did, but anyway, even even the I did two marathon trials. Well, actually, one I was injured didn't get to run. But the first marathon trials, I was a hack runner in college, and I made the trials. I got I dropped my ten k PR like a minute and twenty seconds that year. And like USA Today had a thing like top ten people to watch, and somehow I was on there. And I'm like, this is wrong. <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh, I could be injured in four years. Who knows? Sure <laughs> enough, I was. Yeah. Oh well. Shoot. 
you're 10 times better than me. So I'm allowed to root for you guys, you know. Ons especially paying for us. John says no rooting for journalists, but I'm allowed to root. I'm allowed to root. So good luck at the trials for sure. Thanks. You're going to have a lot of fans cheering you on. Hopefully there's actually fans. If not, they'll be virtually cheering you on. Yeah, one thing with COVID, is it been weird racing with not a lot of fans or is that sort of kind of normal for college track and field athletes? Yeah, it's been a little bit weird, but also I feel like a lot of the races I've done have had a decent amount of people in them. And so you end up having quite a few teammates and coaches talking to you from right outside the track and on the infield. And actually it's made it a lot easier to listen to the coaches because the stands are quiet. So like you hear everything all of the coaches are saying, which is I guess probably helps racing right now, but at the same time, it doesn't super prepare us for being on a bigger stage when the crowd is really loud because I've experienced that to a lesser level, obviously on the NCAA level, like nationals and big Ten conference conferences where it's just super loud. So you kind of have to think about managing that if there's going to be spectators at the trials. Yeah. It seems on those big 10 indoors and, Oh, Milrose for sure. That place is super loud, that armory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that race at the armory, I think you really could surprise some people at the trials. Like, how much of a surprise was that to you, beating all those women? Were you expecting that going in the race? Or No. <laughs> you could run really fast and lose to three people and get fourth place. How shocked were you by that race? I was definitely surprised by myself, but also I was shocked by myself to win the race but I also wasn't super surprised that I could do that because my training had been going really well and I also was just like super nervous for that race like I like was sitting in my hotel room very nervous for it so I feel like that actually helped me to just focus and pull it off but yeah I definitely surprised myself in actually doing it but looking back at the training I was doing, I was running fast enough that that's doable. And also things just went well for me for, during that race. Like, cause I think there was some falls and stuff. So I just came out on the other end still standing. <laughs> so I kind of got lucky. And I guess you don't have to answer this. If you don't want to, but you said your training was going really well. How would you compare your training now till then? If you don't want to give away your secrets before the trials, <laughs> that's okay. I think the biggest difference in my training now is that like the way I've said it to other people is like during college, I would maybe have like a high quality last two reps or something. Whereas now the workouts are like pretty much the entire workout is that same high quality as I used to only have at the end of a workout. So it's kind of just a, a lot bigger body of work and a lot more consistent miles like this year i've had a whole lot of 80 80 plus mile weeks whereas in college i would get up to 80 plus mile weeks but only for a couple weeks at a time and then i'd be lower so just a lot more consistency i would say sounds like you're perfectly ready for for the 10k if i was gonna guess hopefully yeah we'll see well thank you alicia good luck at the trials good luck this weekend and Hopefully I'll see you in Eugene. Yes. Excited for it. All right. Thanks. Oops. 
I forgot to ask Alicia about Ritz saying Alicia is someone who has the potential to be the next great American female distance runner and that she could be someone like Shalane and Dina. So I emailed Alicia about those comments. and She wrote me back saying, I'd say that's a big claim, but it also shows Dathan's support as my coach. When he and I first spoke on the phone and later on when I decided to be coached by him, we discussed that I have potential for a great career. I have a lot further to go, but I think there's something to say about having a support system with my long-term goals in mind. So there you have it. The question I led the podcast off with and forgot to answer. If you listen this long, you deserve the answer. And remember, the Road to the Trials on Let'sRun.com is sponsored by On. We're going to be telling some of the OAC member stories in the upcoming weeks. Hope you're looking forward to it. Happy running, everyone.